Hello and welcome to Mr. Suitcase. Uh, we are on episode number 16, that's 1-6, and I am at the Star City Games five, uh, standard 5K open in St. Louis. Um, walk into the Gateway Convention Center, into the front room, and you've got just rows and rows of tables. Got here about 8.30 and the place was pretty sparse. And then uh, go ahead and in the back, Star City Games has their uh, all their cases with their, their singles out there to be sold and people working. Introduce myself to the head judge, Jared Silva, and uh, get to meet Pete Hoffling, the, uh, the guy who created and is running Star City Games, and just looking around and... I'm enjoying the sights and sounds. Rode in with Conley, who's staying at my place tonight. So everything uh, is pretty good, and the place is alive with people sleeping decks, filling out deck lists. Kind of like any other magic tournament you might go to. See some local folks that I know, and uh, just going to go around and talk to folks in a little bit. They, uh, from a technical standpoint, as someone wanted to do coverage, it's uh, I'm going to need to find my own internet connection, which uh, is going to be determine whether you get this on Saturday that is happening or on uh, Saturday or Sunday morning uh, after it's all happened. And I put up you know four or five podcasts all at the same time. So anyway, that is where where I'm at with things and we'll check back in in a little bit. Let's hear it for McDonald's. Free Wi-Fi means I ought to be able to get things up today. So the time now is 9.30 just about and about a half hour away from things. The room has filled up considerably. Um, I'd say that we have... 80% of the table space taken up by folks who are writing out deck lists and putting together cards. Um, out of respect to the competitors, I won't be naming anybody who's in, and what they're playing yet. Uh, but uh, you know, you see a lot of a lot of cards going out, and know that there's going to be some uh, sweet tech broken out today. So the atmosphere is definitely alive with. The hubbub of noise, you can probably hear it in the background. Um, I've talked to a few of the pros and let them know that I'd like to be doing some interviews in between rounds. And hopefully we'll have a chance to sit down and speak with Jared Silva, who's going to be the head judge uh, for the Open Series today. Um, I was informed that the uh, StarCityGames.com Open Series is the official name of things, so uh, expect to hear that a lot more. You know, so we have the Star City Games Standard Open and the Star City Games Legacy Open. Um, I'm later on. I'm going to try to see if I can sit down with Pete Hoffling, uh, the owner of Star City Games, and just talk to him about the Open Series, what inspired, and so forth. Um, you know, right now, the pre-time, you know, you have a ton of people lined up for him to evaluate their collections and their binders to be sold. Um, and it's just, uh, it's alive and wonderful. So, it's now 10 minutes until 10. 
And as you can probably tell, the background noise has increased quite a bit. I'm going to step out of the hall to uh, go ahead and find a little quieter of a spot. So you can probably hear the background noise drop down considerably now that we've stepped out of the main hall. Um, It's definitely filling up. Um, so that's a, a great thing. I got to speak with uh, Bill Stark of the StarkingtonPost.com, who is doing official coverage here uh, at the Star City Games Open Series. Um, so he said basically, you know, so long as I'm out of his way, that I can go ahead and uh, talk to whoever I want and all that kind of stuff. So between him and Jared, it looks like I'm all cleared through the official folks about doing some coverage here. Uh, so I'm really excited about that, and hopefully get a uh, hopefully you'll see a link to my podcast on the uh, StarCityGames.com uh, uh, official coverage. So they all look really cool and are definitely interested in putting on a great event. Uh, the judges here are definitely noticeable. Uh, they've got some bright blue shirts on uh, with their collared shirts. Look very professional, very nice, and. Uh, you know, the pros have all been uh, certainly approachable about talking to them later. Right now, everyone's kind of doing the pre-tournament, milling around and putting together deck lists and chatting things up. So, I've just uh, what I've done is I've worked, kind of just going ahead and talking to folks and saying, "Hey, I'm doing a podcast, and I would like to go ahead and uh, talk to you later on in the day." Everyone's has seemed amicable to that, so. That's where I'm at on things, and in just a little bit, I will probably start bringing you uh, conversations with folks uh, about you know how the day is going and uh, some interesting things that may have happened in their games. So I'm um, waiting for standings to go up and that kind of good stuff, and then I will try to figure out who I want to talk with. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you later. So attendance was just announced. They have 338 participants here today, and it's going to be nine rounds with a cut to top eight. So the uh, judges are collecting the deck list. They gave uh, 60 seconds for everyone to review and uh, made some basic announcements. Uh, Head judge reminding that uh, you can go ahead and appeal a floor ruling, and then he'll come by and either uphold or overrule. So so round one has begun, and uh, I've run into Rashad Miller, who's, uh, I guess, the founder of uh, Good Games Live, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, him and uh, Good Games Live and what they got going on and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, how did you get your start in Magic? How did I get my start in Magic? I started around... I want to say Stronghold. I remember Stronghold was my first pre-release. The first box of Magic that I bought was probably a box of Alliance, and I think that wasn't the set that was out. But uh, like a buddy of mine that I knew from like video games, and we went to college together, he was like, hey, you should play this game. And I played it, So, and I'm a gamer, so <laughs> I couldn't say no. It was a good game. So that, that was me and Magic, the, the beginnings. So have you ever had any aspirations to be on the Pro Tour and all that kind of thing? Or have you like a serious period? Yes, I did have a serious period. And um, I've actually played on four Pro Tours. Four Pro Tours. Yeah, my first Pro Tour was Kobe in 2003. Uh, then I took a little break, do a lot of judging. And then I started playing some more PTQs. 
um, afterwards, and um, I actually got 14th in um, Pro Tour Berlin, a little little, little self-promotion there. So I, I had a little period after that. I played in Kyoto, didn't do too well, and then I kind of stopped playing, mostly. So was that the Berlin with Elves? Uh, that was the that was the um, Elves Berlin. I was playing all in red, which was probably um, not the best choice for that tournament. But I ended up getting a little lucky. Let's just say that. Possible fourteenth is definitely nothing to uh, nothing to you know to, to hide behind. Uh, so what gave you the uh, impetus to start Good Games Live? Well. I was watching a a video stream of a Street Fighter tournament, and it turns out that street like a lot of Street Fighter tournaments have a lot of streams. Like everybody has like their own little tournaments. There's a big, there's actually a big tournament scene for Street Fighter and other fighting games like that. And uh, it was me and Ray. We were, I mean, we were both together, but we were uh, like I was at home, he was at his place. We were chatting on AIM while, while we were watching this Street Fighter stream, and there were like five people, like five thousand people watching it, and we were like. Why isn't anyone doing this for magic? And I was like, you know what? We should do it. I'm like jokingly saying, yeah, we should do something like that. He was like, yeah, I'll do some commentary. And he was serious. So then I went, okay, let me do do a little bit of research. I kind of contacted the people that were doing that Street Fighter um, stream. Then kind of took some of my knowledge from um, actually like working like at the Pro Tour and doing some of the spider stuff at the Pro Tour. And I kind of put those two things together, you know, Reduce the budget from you know from Pro Tour budget to you know you get your computer and a and a and a camcorder and see what you can do, and then we did a PTQ and everyone loved it, so it just grew from there. That's awesome. So is this now something that you'd classify as a business, or is this still something you classify as a hobby? Well, I think it's a hobby that brings in a little bit of money. I can't. I can't really. I mean. I guess it's a business, but I'm not quitting my job for it yet. It's not. It's not paying my rent or my car note, but it's it's definitely paying for itself. And there's a little bit extra, so we can have a little fun and I can get some better stuff. So it's it's a quasi hobby, almost a business, but it's still a little bit hobbyish. Okay, so then we don't have to worry about uh, Good Games Live going off air anytime due to financial reasons. Oh, not not yet, not yet. Everything everything's running well. People are liking it, and we got uh, a lot of companies that are like, we actually have people who are like, hey, we want you to come and stream our tournament. So as long as people, as long as you guys like watching it, and as long as um, all those companies are like, yeah, we want to have streams, we're going to keep going. So how is it uh, working the uh, StarCityGames.com Open Series? Uh, what's what's probably your best your best things about working at a place like this? Well, well, one we know that we're going to have a, uh, since we're doing all their events, we know we're going to have a lot of content, a lot of shows to give for all the people to do to to watch. Um, it's actually fun to watch standard evolve from when we started actually in St. Louis at the last 10K that um, Star City did last year and like till now where um, we're here in St. Louis again and you know I think John was around back then. John's still here now but other there's other decks that have come in and out and rotated, rotated about and just you get to see magic unfold 
from one tournament organizer's perspective, I guess. And I mean, the same thing with Legacy too, but that doesn't change as much. Um, and and it's nice to work with. I mean, working with Pete and working with uh, Jared and Nick. I mean, they're all awesome guys. I've like judged with them, and um, just being able to work with somebody on a consistent level that I know and I like that's actually a plus. So before we started sitting down and, and talking, we were we were having a conversation over by where you guys were setting up, and uh, we talked about the changes with banned and restricted. And I guess the biggest change probably coming out, of course, is the extended change. What's your thought on that? You mean, what's my thought on this double standard that Wizards has brought about? Sorry, okay, that was a bad bad pun. I'm not usually the pun guy. I I leave that to LSV, but. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I think that this change um, brings uh, extended closer to the like the PTQ formats and the formats that um, that Wizards of the Coast really pushing towards like qualifiers and other like states, nationals, those type of tournaments. Um, because right now, before well, right now, since the bannings, I mean the restrictions and the changes hadn't happened yet. Um, it's kind of it feels more like an eternal format, like vintage and legacy. Those formats are meant to feel the same with a little bit of change with the new sets. I mean, that's what that's why they're eternal formats. Um, and then, you know, standard and block, those are constantly changing. Constantly, constantly changing. And extended was sort of in the middle, but it started with, with the, you know, with the seven sets. It was really leaning closer to being an eternal format. Like, this format doesn't change for for three years, like three years, you know what the what the meta game is going to be, and then a couple other decks. Um, and now with it just being, you know, the four sets, it makes the format change more regularly. Uh, it gives you more play out of like the cards that just leave, you know, standard. So now when like your Gideons and your Jaces are out of standard, they're probably going to be really good and and extended. So I think. It gives you more lifetime out of your cards. People are, are going to like it. And we're going to get to see a lot of new decks every year. Extended is going to be different. And I think that's good. It is, as a commentator and someone who, who does a lot of watching of Magic, is that variety and changing of the metagame something that's really important to you? Well, from the, from the commentary perspective, it's... I would say it's easier if you know what what's going to be what's going to happen. Like if you know a matchup, it's easier to you know give insight on what the game is. Uh, sometimes you don't have to give as much insight because people already have familiarity with that matchup or the decks. When you get a new deck, uh, it adds it adds some excitement. Definitely adds some excitement from the coverage perspective in general. Just you know, hey, this is a new deck. Everyone wants to see. Hey, how's this deck work? Everyone wants to try it out themselves because it's something new and something refreshing. Um, it gives you a little bit. It lets you it lets you think more. You get to use your 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 mind more to kind of figure out what the new interactions are with the decks. So I mean, it's two different it's two different perspectives. Um, I like them both, but per, actually personally, I like I like seeing new decks. But I, I don't mind you know John versus Blue White. If we had John versus Blue White all day, I'd I'd make it fun for you guys. Well, thanks for your time. Is there anything else that you want to mention? I guess uh, you should definitely plug your site. And uh, anything else you want to say? 
Oh, well, the site is uh, ggslive.com, so that's www.ggslive.com, um, and you can check out the site. We have a little calendar on the right side that shows you all the events that we're going to be at, um, but you can count us in on every Star City uh, Open event, all the way up to the Invitational, uh, every domestic Grand Prix, and uh, we're actually going to try to hit Toronto, too, so um, if you like Grand Prix and you like Star City, you know. Check it out. Great. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Hi, I'm sitting down with uh, Sam Black now. Uh, first round, he came away with a victory in three games. And uh, so, what, uh, you mind telling me what deck you're playing? No, I'm playing uh, the Turboland deck. Um, I've been, like, I spent a about a week just like losing a bunch on Magic Online, trying some different decks. Um, a while ago I decided to get a bunch of the Mythics and stuff, but uh, I found myself like two or three mythic Mythics short of a bunch of different decks I wanted to try, and I just couldn't pull the trigger on buying the last thing, so I was just trying to build stuff with what I had. Um, and I wasn't really liking stuff. Uh, I was mostly finding myself limited by not having Eldrazi Monument and Avenger of Zendikar. Um, and so I wasn't really trying decks that featured those cards. Um, eventually I got around to borrowing some Avengers from someone and tried Turbo Land and uh, won 10 of the 13 matches that I played before I had to give them back. And I figured if I was on the kind of losing streak I was and I finally found something that was winning, I should just play it. This sounds like a uh, very, very reasonable prospect. Uh, so you're sticking around for Legacy tomorrow. Um, what Do you have an idea what you're playing there yet? Yeah, I think I'm going to play uh, Blue-White Control. Okay. Um, well, we'll touch back tomorrow more more details. Don't want to don't want to put anything too too big out there. Um, I guess one of the big things that just happened recently is the uh, changes with the banning restricted list, and of course the changes to extended. Uh, what's your thoughts on the changes to extended? I mean, uh, like everyone, as far as I can tell, who's playing in Amsterdam, I'm happy to have a format to actually build for. Um, I wouldn't have hated to just play fairies, but it kind of feels lame to not really work on a pro tour. Um, so, uh, I mean, I might just play fairies anyway, but at least I'll have to like figure out a different metagame for it. Um, aside from, I mean, looking bigger picture rather than just how it affects me in the next couple months, um, I think that uh, I'm usually one to support almost all of Wizards' decisions, and uh, I don't see any reason to feel like I know better than them to th say this was wrong, certainly, and their reasoning makes some sense to me. Um, I hope that this is uh, a sign of things to come regarding making the overextended format uh, the masks block forward. Um, it would be nice to have a more realistic window to use a lot of those cards. Um, but in general, I think that this is a good start for what it does to extend it now. I think that this is a pretty good size for a format, especially looking at what the, you see as their goals for extended being they want people to be able to use their cards a little bit longer than they were able to use them in standard. And like that didn't really happen because all the standard cards that people were using weren't really played in extended anyway. So I think that like this is better as kind of a segue into cards losing their value as they rotate potentially. Um, so I feel like it just accomplishes a little more of Wizard's goals, particularly as it relates to uh, less competitive players and impacts on the secondary markets. 
So with overextended, if if overextended comes out, do you do you see that as having some of the same problems as the you know current extended before the rotation goes into effect, or do you see that as more something that's going to supplement the the legacy scene that's kind of being played out? Well, so the goal with overextended, particularly after extended has changed, is to have a format where people don't have to worry about their cards ever rotating. Um, so you can get something and know that it's going to be good even if you stop playing for a few years. You can come back and play with the same cards. Um, while at the same time uh, allowing wizards to get around their uh, reserve list functionally by uh, just not having the cards that will eventually get to absurd prices um, exist in the format, uh, which is necessary if they want to make it more common. If wizards were to try to make Legacy a PTQ format, all the legacy cards would dramatically jump from their currently ridiculous prices um, to the point where anyone who didn't own dual lands couldn't possibly play in a legacy PTQ. Um, and so uh, this allows them to potentially, if they were to create this format, it would allow them to have a format that does not include rotation, that does have theoretical PTQ accessibility, um, especially if they were to actively monitor when prep cards are getting too unavailable and find ways to reprint them uh, in from the vault type sets potentially. Okay. Um, now, when it comes down to to decks, I guess a lot of people are going to be looking to you in the the new extended to look at how you build fairies. Because I mean, you really you, you made a lot of your name on fairies and the fairies mirror uh, back when it was as a standard, and you know, being very successful with that. Um, is that something that you feel like you kind of have to take even? Uh, extra time to look at that deck some more, especially seeing it's something that was comfortable for you? Um, honestly, I feel comfortable enough with it that I don't feel like I have to put a lot of extra time in it to tell people where they should be starting with the deck. And um, m the last article that I wrote was about that, and uh, I felt like I had a lot of things to say on it, and I enjoyed writing the article. Um, and, I, I mean, I like working with fairies. I like thinking about the build of the deck. Um, it's a deck that uh, just has a really good feel to me. Um, and it's just very natural to me. Um, and so I'm happy to be able to uh, just talk about it again. Uh, you know, it's just like working on something that I really like. Uh, as for how much more I feel like I need to work on it, um, I kind of feel like I need to play it against uh, a variety of decks that may exist in the future extended, and to figure out what those are, I need to be working primarily on building other decks to see what else is good and see what I need to test fairies against uh, to figure out exactly where I'd want to take it for the next major event. Um, but for the most part, I think that uh, I know that in the mirror and in general, I want to focus on the deck being as fast and instant speed as possible um, and really maximizing the synergies and uh, pushing its ability to interact with other decks on its terms. And uh, I feel like right now, um, if you look at Extended as more of an extension of Standard, where Standard is dominated by four mana spells that are primarily sorcery speed, that's absolutely ideal for fairies. That's perfect time to blow them out with cryptic commands and misbind clicks, and uh, now you have mana leak again if you're on the draw. So um, fairies seems really well situated to the... Like, 
fairies, I think, would destroy the current standard metagame, uh, with the possible exception of Jund, but I don't think that Jund in standard has the tools to beat fairies. Um, in extended, I think Jund does. Punishing fire is a huge problem for fairies. Um, uh, Kitchen Finks is pretty bad. Like there, there are a lot of scary cards available to Jund for fairies, um, which is why I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to play the deck. Uh, especially with the more unfair combo decks that Jund might have problems with being like a mid-range deck not being legal in the format. Um, so I need to see... Basically, I need to see if I can build some decks that I think will keep Jund down before I want to decide that I'm playing fairies. So that's the goal, is just to figure out the, the real texture of how I think the Bricker is going to be for now. So you mentioned Mana Leak and content... Uh in context with extended, um, with Manalik being uh, printed now or coming up in M11, and and it seems like Blue's getting a lot of goodies. Uh, does this look to you to be like a, a something that's to be turning into even more of a Blue metagame in the future, in standard? I can't imagine Blue not being completely ridiculous after M11 comes out. Like every single additional Blue card that's spoiled is like another standard playable card. Um, you have like a Merfolk, a Fidian, a Counterspell um, that's actually good, a reasonable instant speed card drawer, a four mana gigantic flyer that has a good ability. Like it just doesn't make any sense how much they've pushed blue. Um, after rotation, they're going to need to do some serious work to keep uh, Jace in check. And even now, um, with the green 4-4 that gains 4 life when someone, uh, and comes into play when someone makes you discard it, um, I think that card by itself makes Blightning almost unplayable. And if Jun doesn't have Blightning, then you, Jace is actually reasonable against them. Um, like, I feel like Blightning specifically was... Like, Blightning and Bloodbraid were the two cards keeping Jace in check. And Bloodbraid by itself isn't quite enough, I think. Um, so I think that the hoser that they put in for Jund that is probably necessary might be a little too strong at hosing the exact part of Jund that is actually healthy for the format. Um, I think that Jace, even before rotation, might be just completely dominant. Okay, well, thanks for your time and good luck the rest of the tournament. You know, keep doing well and maybe we'll sit down again. Right. Thanks, good talking to you. Uh, uh, one sec. Okay, so uh, I am here with uh, Pete Hoefling, who I believe is the uh, founder and owner of uh, Star City Games, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the the 10K, so or the StarCityGames.com Open Series. So, uh, Pete, I guess the first thing I'd like to do is establish uh, how do you get involved with Magic, and how did Star City Games and StarCityGames.com come into being? Um, well, Star City Games actually uh, started off with Star City. Feature match for this round is Table Four. Roley once again. Feature match for this round: Patrick Chapin versus Justin Roley at Table One Forty Nine. Please report to the feature match area. Star City Games actually didn't start as Star City Games. It started as Star City Comics. Uh, we were a comic book shop. Um, the way we actually got into Magic to begin with was uh, we had a group of kids coming into our shop one day, and they asked, I think it was actually uh, when Revise came out, and they asked if we carried Magic Packs. Uh, we did not carry Magic Packs. Um, you know, we told them that we didn't have them, and they came back the next... We, we thought that the kids left. We thought we would never see them again. Um, they came back the next day and asked about them again. And we said, you guys were just here yesterday. 
we didn't have them then, we still don't have them now. You know, sorry, it's, it's not something that we carry. Uh, we may get some in, though, at some point. Just feel free to check back with us. Again, we never expected to see them back again. The next day, they came back again. Players. Asked about them again. So, uh, we just left off where they came back yet a third day in a row. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, we basically gave them the same answer again. And then we said, you know, these kids are going to keep coming back. Uh, let's just go ahead and get a box of this magic stuff, whatever it is. Um, just to, 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 to I, I don't want to say to shut them up. That's not how we actually looked at it. But basically, like, just to make them happy, you know, uh, like we actually didn't expect them to come back and buy any of it after we looked into it and found that the packs were actually selling for like triple what they were supposed to be selling for, like triple what the MSRP was. Um, I think MSRP might have been like three dollars or two dollars or whatever, but the packs were selling for like eight or ten dollars. Um, so we didn't think there was any chance that these kids would ever buy a single pack, let alone more than one. And we got that box in, and the kids came in again, and they literally bought the entire box, one one pack at a time, and they left. And they were they were really nice kids too. And they left, and uh, it was my parents and myself running the store at the time. And we just looked at each other, and we were just like, I, I can't believe that really just happened. Uh, so we ordered another box of it, and the same exact group of kids came back and did the exact same thing again. And the, the packs were still selling for eight to ten dollars at the time. Um, and you know, we started to think, you know, maybe there's actually something to this. So we started doing singles, and and, and we made a, a ton of mistakes. Like we actually at one point had a five-row box. Like all of our singles were in a five-row box, and we actually sorted them, uh, you know, alphabetically by set. That lasted for approximately one day because we actually let people look through them. Uh, you know, so we made a lot of mistakes like that early on, and um, you know, so so at some point we just brought in more and more of the magic, and our store became a hybrid between comics and magic. And then we got involved in organized play and running and running events. Um, and the problem with that is that the two, like my personal opinion, is that the two don't go together particularly well. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna try to do organized play well, and you're and you are successful at it, you're gonna get a lot of people that come into your venue, whether it's a store or whether it's... I mean, in most cases, it's going to be a store uh, if you're carrying comics at the same time. And the problem with that is is that uh, in between rounds, the players have a lot of free time on their hands. And what they were doing was they were wandering into the comic section and just browsing to kill time. And they were destroying the the condition of the graphic novels and the comics that we had in the comic book section, which was then making them very undesirable to the comic customers. Um, and over time, uh, I began playing that and my passion, my personal passion, shifted from comics, which which it, which it had been previously, to magic. So between my personal passion shifting from comics to magic and the problems that we were encountering, trying to do two things well as opposed to just focusing on one thing, um, we eventually decided that we were just going to get 100% into games, games being magic and many other collectible card games, but never really anything like D&D or board games. We just kind of stuck to the collectible card, collectible miniature uh, genre. And then we just phased comics out entirely. And Star City, Star City Comics, which had become Star City Comics and Games, then became Star City Games. And then later on, we launched the website. Okay, so 
Uh, that's a great story. I, I think that that probably was, has been repeated, maybe not on this scale, but in a lot of places. Oh, what's this magic thing? I know I've heard Brian David Marshall talk about neutral ground and how some kids came in looking for magic cards, and you know, and, and when he was working someplace else, and then you know, then more people came in looking for it and decided, well, well, we'll get some of this product, and then they start selling it and start making money off of it, and it launched him as you know, opening neutral ground and then opening up, you know his organizing stuff up you know further north in the uh, New York area so so now I mean we're in the present day obviously starcitygames.com for a long time now has been either the premier or one of the top premier places to go and get strategy content uh, you keep an amazing stable of writers and I know that personally it's one of the places I frequent you know on the top of my RSS reader to go find out content and information and now you've moved that from an organizing you know to a, a more local area to organizing the open series uh, what what prompted you to make that leap into I mean pretty hefty cash prizes in a variety of locations across the, uh, the country uh, well, I'll get to that in a second, but I actually left out a, a, a very key element of the story that I just told you about how we actually got into magic, and that is that one of the pe- one of those kids in that group of kids was actually Omid Dariani, and a lot of you out there may not remember the name Omid Dariani, but Omid uh, started off as one of those, one of those kids who came in day after day after day after day and got us eventually carrying magic, and Omid later became the editor of the first incarnation of our website when we launched it. He later became our editor uh, and he later was then hired by Wizards of the Coast and became editor for Sideboard Magazine uh, back when Sideboard Magazine existed. Uh, Omid then moved on to Upper Deck and worked for Upper Deck for a time. And nowadays I think he's actually out of the industry entirely and doing something different. Not 100% sure about the, about that. But uh, I definitely remember thinking that uh, you know that, that kid who actually had gotten us into magic, how incredible it was that he was basically at the helm of Wizards of the Coast flagship online magazine, which was at the time Sideboard. So he uh, he came a long way, as did we. So, okay, now getting back to um, the question that you just asked me, how did we get involved in... The website was the question, or was the question the, the organized play? It's how how you've moved from you know kind of doing local organization on stuff and moving it into a 10k. You know, well, currently 10k, the open series that you know now has large cash prizes in multiple locations across the country. And I mean, is it, you know was at the time was definitely the first of these types of series that was being launched by independent folks in 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 the nation. I mean, that that span span the country. How how do you make that leap? Um, well, I mean, basically, uh, at the time, we had, uh, we had two uh, full-time, uh, we had an events department within our organization uh, that consisted of two people who were dedicated full-time to events, and as I began talking to them, I, you know, I mean, obviously, um, even before we got to that point, like these two people, uh, which was Jared Silva and Nicholas Sabin, uh, both of which are now level three judges. Uh, they're both incredibly good at what they do. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been very fortunate at over the years is that I've managed to be very, very lucky in finding very, very good people uh, and then keeping them. And, and Nick and Jared are two such people, uh, and they're both actually here today. Um, but we had these amazingly talented people, um, and I guess... 
part of it also comes from the fact that I always sort of look at what uh, at the way things currently are and try to envision what they could possibly be and I try to bring a, uh, a greater degree of professionalism to what it is that we're doing I did that years ago uh, in the comic book industry um, I, we start we basically we sort of I don't want to use the word revolutionized because um, it just comes across sounding the wrong way but we basically sort of uh, we looked at what was going on with co- the way that comic book conventions were being organized and promoted back then and that was 20 years ago uh, and then we sort of did something very similar to what we've done nowadays with the open series uh, where we took something that was largely regionalized and we just rolled out a, a series of conventions across the country and that was 20 years ago um, now the, the comic book convention industry is radically different uh, as far as I can tell versus you know uh, the way it was back then uh, these days but what we've done with the open series was sort of largely apply the same type of mindset to that like we, we looked at the way things sort of currently worked um, and and asked ourselves you know is there a better way to do this um, and then going back to what I was saying before you know I, I had two amazingly talented people on staff and the three of us sat down and we started talking and 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 we kind of came up with the plan and we said you know we think this is actually possible and a lot of um, I have to give a lot of credit to, to an organizer from Kentucky named Brennan Moody because Brennan um, and, and a lot of people may have never heard of him but Brennan uh, did something very groundbreaking himself which was he started an event that was limited to Louisville, Kentucky but it was called the Kentucky Open and we had gone out to vend at that event once and uh, this, it definitely wasn't an idea that we came up with on our own but what we did was we attended Brennan's event he, he did an amazing job with it and, and we felt that what he was offering the players in his own region uh, was just something really amazing, and that was sort of one of the thi- that was that was one of the things that we actually looked at and said, "Is there a way that we can do this bigger, and is there a way that we can do this better?" and are, are we we have so many thousands and thousands of people that visit our website every day like with with, with that kind of marketing uh, attached to th- that type of event uh, you know like what uh, w- is there any limit to what to what we could we could do with this um, you know and we started off slow uh, the first event that we ran was in Charlotte North Carolina uh, but and it was actually it was on the same weekend as a Grand Prix in Vancouver and I remember that because the Grand Prix in Vancouver had 400 players and our event in Charlotte had 400 players also I think they beat us by two players I mean it wasn't it wasn't exactly 400 it was like 398 versus 396 or something like that um, and you know and, and our event was a lot of fun players loved it uh, we had a great time being able to run it for him and you know we looked at it and we said wow we just actually did this for the first time ever and we pulled numbers that were directly in line with the Grand Prix um, you know so once again we kind of stepped back and we looked at that and said how can we do this bigger how can we do this better uh, you know what sort of potential does something like this actually have and then one by one we started adding additional cities and then come 2010 we just decided to take the thing completely nationwide well, that's that great. So, so obviously, you know, you've seen 
you've seen your business here with the with the with the open series expand, and obviously Magic is doing is in a great place, uh, has an expanding player base. Um, you know, it, do we see? Do you do you have any thoughts on what really has driven this increased player base, um, or is it something that you know Wizards is just managing things well, but? You know, what's your thoughts on on expanding Magic, and do you think that it, you know, there is we're approaching a ceiling anytime soon, or you just think this is something that's going to bust out and continue to bust out? There, right now, there doesn't really seem to be any sort of limit to to how how popular Magic can become or how how big this game can actually get. Um, you know, as far I definitely agree, and I think it's actually it's actually a fact that there's more people playing Magic now than there ever have been before. And I apologize; I've actually got a very scratchy voice. I'm having some issues, but um, but uh, you know, there's been a, a lot of people have tried to figure out like what like Wizards of the Coast made so many changes recently. To, uh, you know, to they 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 eliminated a pro tour and they changed the way that they do set sizes and they introduced mythic rares and they put pre-releases in stores and I mean they've made so many so many changes uh, to the way that they do things and now magic is bigger than ever and, and I think that because they made so many changes it's really hard to actually figure out exactly what it was that they did that made that took magic from where it was to where it is now but in the end I don't even think it really matters I mean because something they did uh, obviously worked and they seem to be on the right track I mean I'm sure some of the things they did were mistakes uh, but what, whatever those mistakes were you can, I mean it's not noticeable and magic is bigger than ever um, and wizard seems to be doing great which I think is great I know that our company is also doing really well and you know my uh my philosophy has always been if something is good for magic it's good for us so we just keep trying to do things and we've done it with the open series we've done it with our website as well we keep trying to do things that that we feel are good for magic and they benefit a lot of people besides us but they benefit us tremendously as well and if magic's doing well we're doing well and everyone's happy so okay well I'm going to let your, your voice get a rest thank you very much for the time of the interview and thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to do some podcasting from here Thank you again. Uh, absolutely. It was my, it was my pleasure.